Hello and welcome to the fourth season of God in Film, the podcast where a Christian and an atheist dive into the best that cinema has to offer and see if we can find any parallels with the gospel or any other Bible stories. I'm film critic and religious zealot, Giles Goff. And I'm filmmaker and angry apostate, Phil Coleman. And for the fourth episode of our mini-season looking at horror, we'll be looking at Midnight Mass, Mike Flanagan's supernatural drama released on Netflix in 2021. We'll be looking at transubstantiation, what is spiritual abuse, different models of church leadership and why God will forgive pretty much anything. Phil, I, I really had to strong arm you into watching this. What <laughs> did you think of it when you finally got around to it? The only reason that it took some strong arming is because the first episode was just slow. Oh my gosh, yeah. And, yeah. and I just, like the first half of the episode, I was just there thinking like, right, okay, but isn't this horror? The only horror yeah. here is how slow it is. But I tell you something, I'm very, very glad I stuck with it because yeah. I'm, I'm just going to say it, actually. I think it's one of the finest pieces of horror television written in recent memory. It, it still sticks with me right now. I'm still thinking about it, fresh in my mind, weeks on from watching it. Like It's just a masterpiece. I, I yeah. absolutely loved it. Loved it. I, I dipped into it again in, in preparation for this episode. And for me, first episode went by and I'm like, okay, bored now. Second episode, <laughs> still bored. Third episode, I really, I really need to be more effective with my use. Of, oh my gosh, that's a that was exactly you how know. I felt. Like there was like a, that turning point in episode three, and I'm like, oh, oh this is what yeah. it's about. That's oh. this is the kind of kind of show it is. Like, oh wow. I have to say, the representation of Christianity in it is pretty amazing because you have the 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 full spectrum. You have the the good ones and the bad ones, and it's it is perfectly observed. And I really really enjoyed that. There are some good people there are some terrible people in that show it's oh it's masterful and we will get into that a bit more now in (gasps) phil's facts phil's facts yeah baby oh my goodness gracious i was gonna say god but it felt wrong anyway (laughs) midnight mass is an american supernatural horror streaming television miniseries created and directed by mike flanagan the plot centers around an isolated island community that experiences supernatural events after the arrival of a mysterious priest. So, I mean, aren't all priests mysterious on some level or other, you know? You know, like, because, yeah, there's a lot of priests that I've met and I've been like, I'm sure you were like a rock star in a band in the 80s or something, do you know what I mean? You know what? Dressed in all black, mumbling in Latin, basically priests are just the respectable side of being a goth. If they were part of a metal band, I would not be surprised. (laughs) So, in Mike Flanagan's previous work, Gerald's Game, Jesse throws a book at the dog with the title Midnight Mass, which is also the name of the book that Maddie was writing in the film Hush, also directed oh, by wow. Mike Flanagan. Um, Gerald's Game, that's the one... Where he they basically go on a like a retreat and they're sort of getting down to it. She's tied yeah, up yeah, yeah. and then he dies and she's yeah. tied up on the bed. Mike Flanagan only really came onto my radar with The Haunting of Hill House. The approach that he's taken, this almost like, almost like repertory theatre approach of having the same actors and just jiggling them around in different roles for stuff is, is fantastic, you know? So the angel, angel, mm-hmm. inverted commas, shares traits with, and now I may be butchering this pronunciation, Aluka, a type okay. of vampiric demon. Aluka mm-hmm. are first mentioned in Proverbs in the Bible, 
And that is the same as the episode title where it first appears. Spell that for me. A-L-U-K-A-H. Never come across that before. Aluka is a Hebrew word that means horse leech. Mm. A type of leech with many teeth that, that feeds on the throats of animals. According to biblical scholars, Aluka can mean bloodlusting monster or vampire. Aluka is first referred to in Proverbs 30. Good freaking lord. I just assume they made that character from like whole cloth. Because if there, if there are vampires in the Bible... Nobody's been mentioning them, you know? Yeah, Aluka. They are uh, I, I, and again mm-hmm. I might be I don't know the correct pronunciation. I'm just going off what I've what I've written. Yeah. Biblical va- vampires, mate. Wow. Anyway, moving on. Naturally. The creature in flight is thought by several characters to be an albatross. Mm-hmm. An albatross is a symbol of extreme guilt and psychological burden in literature, two themes that Riley, Paul, and other characters deal with. The origin of this symbol of the albatross is Samuel Taylor Coleridge's poem, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, where sailors start experiencing supernatural events that include dead men rising after one man kills an albatross. Like the show, the poem heavily draws from Christianity. I had to study uh, Coleridge's Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner in first year at uni. It was so boring, I don't think I've ever (laughs) thought about it again. Like, the moral of the story is, don't shoot an albatross. And I'm like, okay. Uh, wasn't gonna, so... Damn it, I've not shot my daily albatross. <laughs> it does have the line, um, water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. Water, water everywhere and all the boards did shrink. And that is literally all I can remember from Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. I mean, I know of that, but I didn't know yeah. it was from that. <laughs> so like, it's a poem, but it's like an epic poem, you know, it goes on for five ever he's feeling pretty bad about killing the bird you shouldn't do that okay move on guys you know anyway yeah so uh don't kill birds big uh big big yeah. lesson here uh so first mm-hmm. appearing in the second episode the lasser glass from the oculus from 2013 which is another mike Flanagan film mm-hmm. uh can be seen in yeah. the rec center on the stage both oculus and midnight mass are directed by mike Flanagan, and the lasser glass also appears in several other mike Flanagan's works as well so it's a bit of a Sort of director's uh, an auteur auteur mark that's the one like I've watched uh, Haunting of Hill House and Blind Manor and I've watched Midnight mm. Mass and I just don't feel like I've seen enough of his feature film work because yeah. his stuff with television is absolutely wonderful and I wonder what he does with effectively a shorter form of storytelling which is the feature yeah. film uh, and finally uh, Raul Coley and Mike Flanagan's love of Joel Miller from the video game The Last of Us inspired Sheriff Hassan's dress sense <laughs> <laughs> Which I just think is quite nice, really, you know? I mean, he, he's dressed in a cop uniform, so I don't really... Uh, well, he's he's usually dressed in that sort of, like, he's got that um, plaid shirt, jeans and brown sure. boots kind of thing going on, which is yeah. basically what Joel from The Last of Us exclusively wears. I know you're not much of a video gamer, so I imagine mm-hmm. you probably won't get around to it, but there is a series coming out with yeah. Pedro Pascal. He's playing Joel. And it's looking very, very faithful to the game. I'm going to um, check out the trailer watch it. Lovely. Thank you so much for those, Phil. Hey, guys. It's Editing Giles here. I just wanted to tell you that Godin Film now has a Patreon page. You can support the podcast and get the accompanying goodies to go with it. For instance, if you're delivering a talk or a lesson and would like to get the quotes and references we use rather than painstakingly transcribing them, our very Reverend Kevin Smith tier gives you access to my episode notes for every episode and the bishop waller bridge tier lets you listen to the special god in music episode where myself phil and sefa ahiaku agri go through the top 10 mainstream songs with a god connection here's a clip 
I'm MCR fanboy and two-pack conspiracy theorist, Giles Goff. And I'm bassist and Wolfpack groupie, Phil Coleman. <laughs> How did I you know? I couldn't think of another band that you liked. Well, I know because you wouldn't stop talking about them. You're like, hey, I went to New York to see Wolfpack. I, was, you know, I mean, to be fair, that- I did. And it was, yeah. So it was it was that or busted, you know? <laughs> I never said I liked busted. <laughs> you don't need to say it, Phil. Okay. None of us need to say it. If you'd like to support the show, your money will go towards the channel hosting costs and it will make it much easier justifying this massively time-consuming endeavour to our wives. Just go to www.patreon.com forward slash God in Film Podcast to support the show. And if you can't support us financially, that is not a problem. Our regular show is free and it always will be. But if you could give us a massively positive five-star review... We'd really appreciate that because, you know, we are desperate for any kind of validation. And now back to the show. So, as you know, I am pretty confident when it comes to talking about anything to do with Christianity, irrespective of whether I actually know what the hell I'm doing or not. You know, that's never come across, actually. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> However, Islam, I am a little bit patchy on, so I actually got our good friend Ripon to come on and talk to us about, hey. uh, about it. Yeah, um, my name is Ripon Danis. I am 40 years old. I am a public health principal at Warwickshire County Council. Yeah, I'm a Muslim guy, born and bred in uh, the UK. My parents are, uh, I guess, from Bangladesh. I'm mixed as well, so there's a bit of a Italian, Swedish, uh, <laughs> Myanmar or Burma, Afghan in there as well. Fantastic, Ripon. It has been such a joy to have you on here, and you've been you've been such a, a supporter of the of the show ever since our first series. And we just like it if anybody pays attention. Frankly, <laughs> we just like it if anyone notices what we're doing. You had to talk about Midnight Mass. What can you tell us about the show? I first found out about it through you. Okay, <laughs> you got in contact with me and said, like, have you seen Midnight Mass? I said, I hadn't. I <laughs> said, give it two episodes or two two three episodes if you have don't like it by then then that's fine but just let me know how it goes after that Mm -hmm. and i loved it from the first episode there's a character in the show sheriff hassan the character is a a muslim character in this uh, small town i would go as far as to say probably one of the best representations of a muslim person i guess living in a western kind of society or in western media so I was just going to say, what, what is it about uh, Sheriff Hassan that jumps out at you? It highlighted just how wrong every other film or uh, TV show has done it because he, he could be your everyday Muslim guy. His kind of experience of living as a Muslim, you know, you could relate that to anybody in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd imagine probably the same in Europe. Um, just anywhere where it's not, you know, the society around him isn't predominantly Muslim. Modern society is almost, it's quite difficult for someone to be religious anyway. Yeah. And it just happens to be that post 9-11 kind of society, it's been particularly tough for Muslims. He kind of draws upon all the problems that he's had to face, which for a lot of Muslims, they would have had to face, or you could at least see parallels to your own life. I've been through that. I understand what you're saying. But he says it and goes through the whole show in the most eloquent you know, way. It's quite funny because I think like in the beginning of the show, there's a character, Joe, who's an alcoholic that calls him Sharif. Yeah. Play on the word of Sharif. You know, the, the name Sharif in Arabic means noble. And that is essentially what he is throughout mm. the show. You know, they get this Muslim character to 
be the sheriff, which is quite traditionally, I guess, in a, in an American show, that that's the character that is the hit. It's essentially the hero. Yeah. And the hero might get die at the end or get shot, or whatever. But he remains hero from start to finish i loved it were there any particular scenes that jumped out at you first off you know we we get introduced to the sheriff there's a drunk who he's kept overnight so is joe now joe is a character that the rest of the town um has essentially given up but the, the sheriff Hassan, you know keeps in there make sure he's safe and it's like yeah regardless of you know in, in islam obviously you don't really drink it doesn't mean that he can't help him he's mm-hmm. helping him so already this is a good guy yeah it doesn't matter that his lifestyle doesn't match up with the guy that he's helping he still just wants to help him you know so he's just put him in the cell just to give him a bed overnight to make sure that he's okay it's been established early on that this is a good guy the one that really sticks out is there's a pta meeting yes uh, and the reason why the the meeting's been held is because sheriff hassan's son ali has come home with a copy of the bible bev the kind of the town busybody her character is not she's not very loving is she well, she's not unique to Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> in in the Muslim in Muslim like circles, there are people like that as well, where they were, they are pushing the faith on you when you just like look. I'm learning about my faith and dealing with it in my own way. You're forcing it upon me, and ultimately, in my experience, is usually they're just not quite right, and they've just hopped onto a faith and using this to kind of prove their goodness or their mm. um, piousness but ultimately they're flawed people coming back to Ali she's decided to essentially just give him the bible mm. in a public school and Sheriff Hassan comes in just to say that look I'm all for my son doing research on the bible in fact I, I'm, I'm happy to research it myself even like you know I, I think it's it should be encouraged to do that yeah. But it's not right if you then force it upon him and give him the Bible because he says, look, if I if it was to switch and I started hanging outside your church and started handing out the Quran, mm-hmm. I'd I'd get lynched. Yeah. You know, I, I'd get torn apart. So I don't I don't see how it all works. So I think she tries to make a case about, oh, you know, I just want him to learn about Jesus. Mm-hmm. This is where it gets really interesting is that um, what a lot of the media and a lot of people don't understand is Jesus is mentioned in the Quran uh, more times than Muhammad. Really? Yeah, is is mentioned. Gosh. Yeah, remind me what his name is in the Quran. What's he, what's he called? Isa. Isa. That always makes me smile because it sounds so close to Yesi, the Welsh name for Jesus, yeah, yeah, you exactly, know? Yeah, yeah. With the Latin, you don't pronounce the, the J. Right. You don't pronounce the It's like a Y sound. Okay. Uh, Jonah would be Jonah. Okay. Jesus is Isa. Uh, Jacob is Yaqub. Um, but yeah, uh, Isa, peace be upon him, is you know one of uh, the top prophets. Can I just ask, just just purely out of um, the peace be upon him that goes goes after everything? Do you have to say that with every time you write it, or every time you say it? Cause... Yeah, so, yeah. Every time you write it, that's where we get the PBUH, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's like peace be upon him, peace be upon her. Like if you're mentioning like uh, Mariam, Jesus' yeah. mother, Mary, Mariam, it would be peace be upon her. So yeah, it's just peace be upon all the prophets and their family. That's really got to slow down the sermons, surely. Whenever someone says it, so say if you to say, uh, oh yeah, Prophet Muhammad, I'd have to say, oh, peace be upon it all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but they've shortened it down to, and you just like kind of mumble it or say it to kind of acknowledge that, yeah, you've, 
mention these these people, I'm going to acknowledge that yeah, they, they they've done a good deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ripon, assalamu alaikum. <laughs> alaikum assalam. Ripon, thank you so much for talking to us today. I really appreciate it. So, Phil, that was Ripon. What did you think? He's just such a welcoming soul, isn't he? Like, I could listen to him talk about his religion and what makes him happy just all the time, mm-hmm. like, because he's so generous with his knowledge. And, and that's mm. just so great. I've got a lot of time for him. I think he's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, I'm glad that we finally got him on the show. Yeah, I know. It's a long time coming. Ripon has been a big supporter of us ever since season one. And we uh, we absolutely love it. Love him for it. I thought the thing with Sheriff Hassan, like the, the idea of you, your kid wanting to actively pursue a religion that's not yours. I love the way he it showed the, the level of balance between, you know, saying, saying to your child, I'm really glad that you're searching for God, but, you know, we've got God right here. You don't you don't need to go looking for it and I felt I could empathize with that because you would obviously understand the need to give somebody the freedom but also when it comes to what you actually believe it's very difficult to to say to somebody you love oh well you just do whatever you want I can see how that would be difficult now it's time for finding the faith in the film finding the faith in the film <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I love this the show. This was the show that actually inspired us doing a uh, the horror miniseries in the first place. I, I really liked it. So as you might have figured out yourself, uh, some elements of the show has elements of like cult like behavior attached to it. But to be honest with you, we already talked about cults in our Deep Space Nine episode. So if you want to learn more about that, you can go and check that out. One thing I did want to talk about is transubstantiation. Phil, have you ever heard of that one? I have. I wouldn't be able to tell you the definition of it uh, mm-hmm. without guessing i would like you to tell me <laughs> basically in that case hold on to your butts because this is about to get crazy okay okay consider my butt held awesome source so transubstantiation is according to the teaching of the catholic church the change of the whole substance of bread into the substance of the body of christ and of the whole substance of wine into the substance of the blood of Christ. This change is brought about in the Eucharistic prayer through the efficacy of the word of Christ and by the action of the Holy Spirit. So that's a lot. Mm, it's mm. it's a lot. So let me let me break down a few few things for you. Regularly in churches of any denomination, you'll have uh, what we call communion on the on the on the night of the Last Supper when Jesus. Uh, had a had a meal with his with his mates before sort of being betrayed and all the rest of it. He has this <laughs> moment where such a good being way nice of and, it. Um, <laughs> I tell you what, do you know what? I can't really do this justice. I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of uh, hand over to Saint Paul. Uh, this is one Corinthians eleven uh, twenty three to twenty nine. Uh, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you." Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So the standard operating procedure in most (laughs) churches is somebody reads that out and then if you're in a, a Catholic church or a more traditional church, everybody goes to the front. You get the little Eucharist, which is this tiny little white circular wafer. 
and then you go over to somebody else holding a cup with some kind of wine in it. You, know, you take a sip, then the person holding it wipes it, tries to get some of the germs off. Do a holy cloth. <laughs> the, I mean, the it's, whole, dude, the it's antibacterial wipe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, my name's uh, Phil. I'm <clears throat> here for all your Christian layman's terms all week. Thank you. <laughs> in more modern churches, you have just like a few, some loaves of, of bread uh, in a in a basket, which you can sort of break up and take a bit of chunks off as you go. And then, like this big tray with the best way I can describe it is like mini shot glasses, <laughs> tiny little <laughs> shot glasses. The idea is that yes, okay. It, he was talking about bread and wine, but we don't want to take somebody who is, who like say is an alcoholic and is struggling with their alcohol addiction and then just give them a, a load of a load of alcohol. So it tends to just be sort of fruit juice, you know, so like blackcurrant juice usually. Um, and it's in this tiny little thing, you know, it's, it's, you just get a little sip of it. I always saw it as a symbolic thing. I was raised Catholic and I've, I've taken communion many times, like having attended church as a child and um you know whilst i was still in school uh yeah yeah no i I, again i it's very very clear that it's not like you know the body of christ because i mean from an atheist term i was like this this seems a bit odd you're not um you're not alone on on that that that, that's good that's good Mm, yeah thing yeah so yeah it seems a bit strange it's uh an interesting belief it's not one that i hold with uh or most christians that i know so apparently it was accepted as canon into sort of church law or whatever (laughs) in like 1215 so comparatively that's like the halfway point of christianity roughly you know um right so it wasn't it's it's, it's turned up it's turned up fairly late in the day but it's still officially catholic doctrine as of uh 1992 which was the second vatican council which was presided over by pope john paul ii who was the mm-hmm. he was the pope when we were kids now there was something called the pew research center which asked this question to u.s catholics and they came back with the thing that just one third of u.s catholics agree with their church that the eucharist is body blood of christ they gave a multiple choice thing saying the bread and wine use communion actually became the body and blood of christ or whether they are symbols of the body and blood of christ or not sure so 69 percent overall chose symbols while 31 chose actually becomes body and blood of jesus christ and it's i don't want to um have a go at anybody's beliefs as such but to me it seems pretty obvious that jesus was talking symbolically as a teacher he tended to use a variety of different things to to sort of get these points across and symbolism was one of the things he used so i don't know where the idea came that it was literally happening that it was literally his body because he was saying this is my this is my blood which is given up for you this is my body which is broken for you he's trying to prepare them for something really big that's coming up that they're just not ready for that's kind of how i always saw it like it's a symbolic representation of the <clears throat> sacrifice that jesus made for <laughs> his disciples for his people for his followers and for the entirety of the world but it doesn't actually become his body this is again this is me coming from a very literal scientific point of view yeah but it just seems even from like a faith perspective i'm just like i'm just not sure 
Yeah, it's an odd one. As I say, it's not one I particularly hold with. However, as interesting beliefs go, it's not hurting anybody. And it serves as like the central inspiration point for Midnight Mass. So we got a decent TV show out of it. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying I'm mad about it or sad. It's more of a investigative curiosity. Rather than me being like, how oh, bloody stupid if you got a baker's like, come on, I'm not like, that. that's just what I think. So the next thing I wanted to talk about was spiritual abuse. So, you know, we're, we're covering all the fun topics today. So what we see from some of the main characters in this is spiritual abuse from, from some of the church characters. I, the, the first thing I'm thinking is, you know, when um, Pruitt kills the first guy and then Bev yeah. is like, you guys dump the body here, take it out five miles. And then she tells them, she gives, she quotes all the bible verses and she says you know i've come as a sword and all this sort of stuff that's like really obviously spiritual abuse yeah oh yeah she's just using that as an excuse to to cover up someone's murder oh just her in general bev. <laughs> just bev mate like come on flipping bev, bev. so spiritual abuse is quite a nebulous term but for now all i want to say is that spiritual abuse it's basically just like every other kind of abuse you know physical emotional financial sexual but the key thing is that the perpetrator says they're doing it to you because god wants that to be so yeah and the reason why spiritual abuse offends me so much on a deep and personal level is because not only are you hurting people but you're hurting people in the name of someone that i love personally the thing that annoys me about it is that it it takes that thing that is sacred to many many people mm. and it abuses the message of it. It, it it takes it and it and it sullies it in for lack, yeah. lack of a better term you know it and and i think that's just abhorrent because it's always it's almost always used for personal gain or for yeah. the gain of a a selfish party um yeah. that kind of abuse of power and that abuse of belief it just it just makes me despair because i think yeah. how dare you how dare you use other people's faith in that way no matter what their faith so, is uh, and i think that the the tricky thing for for somebody who's, who's not got a relationship with god is is trying to work out that personal element to it so the the metaphor i can think of is like can you imagine your wife elise is veg uh, she's vegan right vegetarian vegetarian right sorry my apologies okay so can you imagine if like 100 years from now the followers of elise are all strictly vegetarian <laughs> you know, and then they're also going, oh, yeah. And by the way, anybody who isn't vegetarian needs to be put to death immediately because Elise says so. You'd be like, um, uh, guys, she didn't she didn't say that. You know, that's not yeah, I, 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 they're like, yeah, um, that's not how it went down. She just yeah. didn't really like the taste of meat. Didn't care if yeah. you ate it. Put the put the knife down, Derek. Seriously. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We're not, not in Elise's name, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the point. That's what I mean. When when somebody you you love gets turned, it, it becomes like a a club to beat people with. It's that level of a personal insult, for want of a better phrase. Because the the, the thing that that yeah. bugs you about this is that what this does is this puts a barrier up between people who are oppressed and Jesus. Yeah. Literally, the people who need Jesus the most aren't going to go to him because they've been told that this person hates you. And isn't that or, abhorrent? Yeah, or this person loves you 
conditionally and you have to change this thing that's intrinsic to who you are as a human being. And it it blows my mind because churches are literally meant to be a sanctuary, you know? In medieval yeah. times, you could run into a church, grab the altar and not get arrested. That's how seriously people took it. People, even in, in modern times, still refer to the main sort of hall of a church. A lot of the time they refer to it as a sanctuary. And if you stop it from being a sanctuary, then you turn it into something that it's not and you've then missed the entire point of church do you know what i mean yeah it's a bloody bev do you know what i mean yeah well thing is i think about bev right and she's definitely a christian you know she she definitely believes but she's she's missing like the one key thing that you need to be a christian right and i'm gonna read it I'm going to read it out from um, St. Paul again because he just does it better than me. So this is... We love our Paul. This, this is 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What's interesting about it is that you can be a Christian, you can be a good person in inverted commas, but if you don't love these people deep down, if you're not doing it out of love and you're doing it out of duty or you're doing it because you feel it's the right thing to do or you want to prove that you're better than somebody else, then you have missed the point by a country mile, you know? It, Bev, Bev strikes me as somebody with a, a, a total lack of empathy. So the last thing I wanted to look at was uh, models of leadership. And we're getting uh, a little bit extra biblical um on this one extra biblical but this isn't strictly like we're not going to necessarily find a, a gospel sort of comparison the best comparisons yeah. looking at this kind of leadership thing would be acts and the way that the early church works on that front what i thought was interesting here is that effectively every church is an organization of people isn't it yeah it's a community yeah and that's something yeah. we've touched on many times and what can make an organization powerful is the amount of people that are in it. Yeah, yeah. So it applies the same to uh, Christianity as well, because the whole point of what we're meant to do is to is to sort of grow the church and make it bigger and, and all the rest of it, okay? Like literally, there's one of the last things Jesus says before he ascends to heaven, like right at the end of the book of Matthew. So this is Matthew 28. It's a thing called the Great Commission. So like Jesus is like right out the door and he's like, oh, and one thing. <laughs> so this is this is Matthew uh, 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, like, literally the last thing Jesus said was, please tell people about me. Like, that yeah. is key. When people say, oh, you know, I don't mind being a Christian, but do they have to be so in your face about it? Do they have to always go around telling them? It's like, yeah, yeah, we... We literally have to do that. There's yeah, that's that's kind of part of the deal, bro. <laughs> you, you know, if we if we're keeping it to ourselves, then we're not we're not real Christians. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, big big, big J told us. You know what I mean? Like, we've got big to do it. 
<laughs> so just like just like any other organization churches need to grow and churches are expected to grow and churches on some level will judge their success based on on how they're growing yeah. so one of the things we have and this is going to be another one of those phrases which sounds completely normal to me but is going to sound a bit weird to you have you ever heard of a church plant <laughs> sorry i just imagine it literally like a, a fern <laughs> in the big corner of church you know no I, I haven't actually heard of that unless you actually literally mean a fern right okay so a church plant is a type of uh, evangelism Okay, so rather than just sort of standing on a street corner and shouting at people, you people like church leaders will sort of get together and they'll be praying and they'll be like, I feel God is telling us that we need to go to this place. You know, we need to go to that place and and the rest of it. And it's usually within your locality. It's usually, you know, you want to start a church plant in a town near you or, or 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 another part of the city not not far from you okay so my church is based in sale and we've got church plants in heald green and Eccles and stratford and the idea is you send some of your some of your guys you send a leader and you send like a team of with that leader um to work in the community to sort of support the community in whatever they need whether it's like running free kids clubs or helping just whatever a community needs you with me yeah yeah that makes sense you know like your community uh, support a little bit like that yeah it's 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 a way of sort of like getting getting christians out in front of people so we're not all just stuck in this holy huddle and we <laughs> that is that is literally one of the phrases that we use That's you know so and it's great such you know, because the, the church is the only organization designed for the benefit of its non-members. We're meant to be yeah. getting out there. We're meant to be talking to people. We're meant to be helping people. That's the whole point. And the thing is, you end up with like two possible models for church and for church leadership. Okay. So you have one that is like fast moving and dynamic and centers around a charismatic leader and they're going and doing all these different things and it's really sort of cool and and interesting and then you end and then the other one is like an institutional model where it's like if you want to do something it's like okay well let's take this to the leadership team or let's see what the elders have to say and it's quite a big deal so we'll need to sort of take it to the church members we'll it, it, it will need to make sure that you've been approved but you've gone through the course you've been approved for membership you know what's entailed then you have to have a vote then is there's, there's a we have to make sure we've got a quorum that we've got everybody there and all that sort of stuff so there's both these models right and both of them have benefits and both of them have flaws to them and midnight mass could be seen as a way of, as as a, a depiction of one form of this leadership model being used here so yeah. you've got a you've got a, a sort of a fairly like what we would call a dead church you know it's the building's still there there's still services some people are still going but it's not alive it's not exciting people don't feel connected to it and then you get a, a new in inverted commas priest or leader arriving and he's so charismatic he's so loving and caring and a brilliant speaker and not only that but miracles start to happen and the church starts to grow pretty exponentially doesn't it that was one of um, the things that really made midnight mass just so 
horrific to me is the fact mm-hmm. that people like this guy under the under the guise of God, like you know, and he did, and he does really do believe that it is God's doing this whole this whole thing that's yeah. happening in the show. The fact that th- that bit at the end where they're all whether it's all like you know you need to shed your earthly body and give way to your heavenly one. I you, I just want to scream through the screen, just like no, don't do it. You're being tricked, and it's all because of that charisma. It's because of that community that they felt all the way through the series and it's mm. yeah it's it, like you can see how it does work to, to that that kind of method of getting people into like a community it is an effective method of doing it it's an effective method mm. of, of sort of i guess for lack of a better term recruiting people to be part of the community and to be part of a belief system yeah well also the th- the the thing is with both of these models and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot is about changing your tactics when they are appropriate. When one system no longer works for what you're trying to do. You with me? Yeah. So if I take just the example of this, of a uh, of, of making a podcast, you need, put simply, you need one person with a lot of sort of drive and energy and ideas to kind of push things along and not wishing to blow my own trumpet, but enough charisma to sort of get some people to kind of come along on the journey with you. And if nothing else, convince them to be your co-host. You with me? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. So could you imagine what it might be like if we had to make this podcast by committee? If, for example, when we made a podcast, somebody would then go through it line by line and tell us all the things they didn't like and all the things they want us to change in order for it to be absolutely right there's a couple of things i'd like to say uh Mm. um, and in some ways i have experienced that in similar projects and other projects as well uh yeah Yeah. it's it's tiring and stifling and nothing gets done (laughs) stifling would be the word i would use because eventually sooner or later it kind of like takes all the oxygen out of a project you know you can't move you can't do the things you need to do and it's exhausting however if we then take it to the other end of the spectrum if we look at somewhere if like one of the most popular podcasts in the english-speaking world would probably be the joe rogan podcast right sure and that is a largely unedited and to be perfectly blunt not super well thought through podcast because you've got he's inviting guests on there who then put across some extreme views or some views that were critical of uh, covid and lockdown measures and you're perpetuating covid denial which is probably going to make some people die in that instance having a committee of people to sort of listen through and go yeah do you know what you you really need to take this bit out or that's going to be a problem or i don't think we want to give this person a platform for this sort of thing in that case a more institutional model is really really useful absolutely especially with a podcast like that with so many polarizing views and Mm. perpetuating so many falsehoods it's just making the world a worse place yeah so we've talked in the past about a guy called Mark Driscoll. If you remember when we did our Shack episode, he was the guy that uh, reviewed um, the Shack, calling it heretical when he hadn't actually oh, yeah. read it. Yeah. yeah. So Mark what Driscoll, a again, uh, a very charismatic leader, very, I can't think of a better phrase, on fire for God, you know, a, uh, a very strong <laughs> speaker, but also not a good guy, not really. Massively heavy on the spiritual abuse. And because... 
the church that he had made, that he'd started, had kind of built up around him. He was never willing to relinquish the power that you get when all the when all the power is is based around you. Yeah, and as yeah, a result, his church crumbled because. If people have no voice in a church, if they have no way to actually get their feelings across on something, then they'll leave because you've given them no other options. So, yeah, yeah. so it, it, it all it all falls apart there. Tim Keller, who he's a uh, he's a preacher, I think, based in New York, possibly, and he is in Christian circles. He's a bit of a G. Is he almost H? Because he's so G. He's, yeah. He's H. He might even be taking I along for the ride. Maybe throw in a few other vowels for it. He's a, he's a bit of a big deal. And he was he was sort of talking about how you needed to move from like a charismatic leader model to that kind of institutional model as and when it was appropriate, because otherwise your church wasn't going to survive. It wasn't going to get past the, yeah. the point you've you've taken it to. I feel like the charisma model is good for you know building an audience and and mm-hmm. getting the the kind of people that you want to. I'll, I'll just get anybody in actually because it's not about the people that you want just getting people who are interested mm-hmm. interested yeah. even more so but then when you're trying to create something of longevity you need to involve other people you need to have yeah. people's voices heard otherwise it doesn't work because yeah. people are yeah. very very much independent and fiercely so yeah and having to having to switch models is a really happy problem to have because what it means is you've got a lot of people around you and a lot of people are passionate about the thing that you're passionate about, the thing that you started. If you're willing to relinquish a little bit of control, then you'll really see dividends there because you'll see something that will be able to outlast you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it does make so, sense. The, the very, very, very last thing I wanted to talk about uh, was the idea of radical forgiveness. Can you remember how the show ends yes they've all gone and hmm. been vampires and they've basically yeah if, if, if people haven't been eaten then they're now vampires monsignor pruitt sees the error of his ways and yeah. bev is sort of cast out of the actual community for basically being just just not being very good and mm-hmm. they all start to sing together yeah earth and wait for the sun to come up because they realize that the way that the path they're on only ends one way so that was a really 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 good example at least the way i interpret it was they they sort of they realize what they've done wrong they realize how terrible it is they are racked with guilt and then they ask uh god for forgiveness if not necessarily using the specific wording the fact that they kneel down to pray that they don't try and get out of the punishment they're sort of kneeling and singing hymns to god that is a phenomenal example of somebody realizing they're a sinner and wanting God to forgive them. Yeah. And forgiveness from God does not equate to being freed from earthly consequences. You, if you kill somebody, you ask God for forgiveness, God will forgive you. Your soul is is sorted, but you still need to pay the price for what you've done there. And the reason why uh, I thought this was particularly appropriate was, who's the apostle I've been quoting the most in this episode? Oh, Paul? Yes. And Paul has the dubious honor of being the apostle who killed the most people. Okay. He was a an absolutely uh, zealous 
uh, Jewish religious leader. He would literally was going from town to town, uh, persecuting and killing Christians. He watched when Stephen was stoned to death and was the, the first martyr. And he was literally on his way to Damascus, literally like, la, la, la. I'm going to go kill some more Christians. That's just what I do. It's just how I roll. When literally Jesus turns up and he's like, dude, why though? And yeah. granted that that is the, that is the Giles translation. Like I'm sure it the, went down slightly differently in, in. Not that differently. It's He's called Saul at the time. And it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And yeah. Saul, as he was then, says, who, who are you, Lord? And he's like, I am Jesus Christ. And then the you know the implication is please pack yeah. it in. Yeah, and I can just imagine like like Saul, why are you killing me, bros? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah that was just, that, just that's... like I'm getting sick of burying people. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's kind of Could... really annoying. I've got to go Asda, right? Yeah. I can't get to the post office because you keep killing people. You're driving it's me just, nuts. It's could could you not? Could you just not yeah. though? You know? Um, and obviously the thing about this this is what I call radical forgiveness this is forgiving somebody who doesn't deserve it in the slightest and this is both an appealing concept and a terrifying concept because when it is us we really want that radical forgiveness we don't want to be judged by what we were like on our worst day we don't want to be judged purely for the things we did wrong and yet, when it's other people, when it's people who have who hurt other people on a scale that to us is incomprehensible and beggars belief and seems absolutely subhuman, the idea that God will let that person off the hook as well as you is incomprehensible. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The it's only the best. It is, a, it is a lot. And it's it, this is why being a Christian requires a lot from you because it means you have to, you don't get to sit in judgment of anybody. The best way to think about it is that when you become a Christian, you become a new person. That's a lot of the, the imagery that we talk about. You're like old, the old man or the new man, this sort of thing. So yeah. the person who is, who's in front of you isn't the one that's that did the terrible things. They are a changed man in the same way that you are not the same person you were when you were 14 or 10 or five. You're just not the same. You know, you share the the name, DNA uh, and all this sort of thing, but you are so far removed from that that point. You, you, you might as well be two different people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. This is the same principle that you are not the same person. And the thing you hear it from people who've been in prison for like, very long time who are sort of working life sentences you'll hear them say i am not the person i was when i came in here do you know what i mean the yeah. cha- so the thing with christianity is the concept is the same we're familiar with the concept it's just happens in a, a much much shorter time frame um yeah. last thing and obviously that doesn't mean you don't have to be discerning just because somebody says they're a Christian doesn't mean you're like, oh, well, I guess I totally believe you now. Yeah. You, you know, you, you, you judge them by how they act more as, as much as anything else, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. So there we go. That wraps up the finding the faith in the film section. Our next episode is going to be on the Sandman, and that's oh, going to be the last yeah. episode for our mini series. So I am so so excited to share my thoughts on that with you. Yes. Yeah, uh, in the meantime, good. <laughs> in the meantime, Phil, have you had a good time? Absolutely. Yes. I uh, I love talking about church and vampires and how much things scare me when it comes to both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, guys. We will see 
see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye bye. Godly Film is hosted and created by Giles Goff and Phil Coleman. Mixing by Phil, editing by Giles. Our logo was designed by Julie Walsh. And our theme tune was composed by Rick Lee. Waffle editing by Natalie Minica. Godly Film is a Dash production. Please rate and review, unless it's a one star, in which case. Dissit Phil Scribino Longam Manum and in Epistola. Quod Maxine Veditor, Facer Omnibus Sensibilus.